We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Happy Thanksgiving week, Pacer fans. I'm Alex Golden. On today's episode, I was unable to join Mike Fachi, but Fachi is going to have two great interviews with Jeremiah Johnson from Fox Sports Indiana and Rhett Bauer from 8 Points in 9 Seconds. So I hope you guys enjoy today's show as we talk all things Indiana Pacers. Ladies and gentlemen of Setting the Pace, I would like to welcome on friend of the show and Indiana Pacer fan favorite, Jeremiah Johnson. Jeremiah, what's going on? Mike, it's great to be with you. It's uh, about that time of year once again where we're talking basketball. We're seeing basketball and not a moment too soon from my perspective. Not a moment too soon is right because, Jeremiah, I feel like this is the longest absence that we've been without seeing you. I mean, what has this been like? It's As we're recording, it's November 24th. Does it feel weird to not be working Pacer games yet? It is. You know, so many, so much of my yearly calendar is set by what the Pacers are doing. So I kind of know in the middle of February I get a chance to take a break. And I know that around Thanksgiving I'll be busy working games normally. And nothing has been normal this year. The off season was different. Then there was this August whirlwind of basketball when it's normally just focused on getting the kids back to school and then another long break. So, I mean, I don't, you don't need me to tell you it's just been a crazy year. But with everything that's happened in the last month in terms of activity in and around the Pacers, it's been fun to just kind of get sort of fired up. And, and so it's just so different than normal seasons when free agency, the draft happens, and then you have a long break before games take place. Uh, we're talking about early December, the players starting training camp, and before Christmas they would actually have a regular season game um, in the books. And so that's right around the corner. It really is. This is going to be, I believe, the quickest turnaround in all of sports, you know, history out of at least the four major sports of like, you know, basketball, baseball, hockey, um, and I believe soccer. Saw it on ESPN. You know, they're chock full of stats. But uh, you ever find yourself maybe kind of wearing a suit just in your own living room, just kind of thinking, hey, (laughs) this is what I should be doing right now? I haven't had that temptation, although a couple times during the summer I was asked for Fox Sports Indiana's Twitter account or for some a couple of different things to record a little video. And so I kind of overdressed for something like that or even a couple of Zooms that I'd done uh, with some fans and, and, and players. I didn't really need to be dressed up, but I thought about just putting the suit on, and I did. Um, and I even this morning was going through the closet a little bit thinking, I might need to go to the dry cleaners. A couple of these suits that I hadn't worn since – 
Uh, maybe I didn't wear them in August, and I hadn't worn them since March. They might need to look a little more crisp for December. So I'm, I'm slowly but surely getting there, but I'll be ready when the when the ball's thrown up. I know you will, and I'm looking forward to that. But, you know, since we've last spoke, I mean, the last time you were on, you know, setting the pace, it was back in February before league play stopped and resumed. A lot of stuff has happened, but we've also seen a lot of stuff happen with just the Pacers. I mean, we're talking about – we saw them get swept in the first round, unfortunately, yet again. Then we've seen many Oladipo trade rumors. Then we've seen the Pacers, you know, sever ties with Nate McMillan. What has been your early thoughts on the hiring of Nate Bjorkren? You know, it's difficult because my interactions are so limited because of COVID and because of um, the different rules and regulations. And even when teams resume play and August and went to even a little Indianapolis training camp in July, I didn't have a chance to be in the building. And so a lot of my interactions with the team in the playoffs over zoom and then maybe some text messages and some phone calls. And it's been similar with Nate Bjorkren. So that's been challenging. We did have the opportunity to record a sideline guys podcast with him. And one thing I will tell you is he is taking advantage of every hour of the day. Even when Pat and I were interviewing him, um, he politely stopped and started on a couple of different occasions, and we were happy to do so because he had someone coming in his office that he had to chat with. And then at that point, he was getting ready um, to get on a plane to leave, and we didn't know where he was going. But then we found out through Malcolm Brogdon that the next day he was in Atlanta having lunch with him, and that was courtesy of Malcolm's interview on ESPN. So I know he – and at that time, he was trying to hire some coaches. We've had a couple of those coaches announced right now. Um, but So there are a lot of things that he has – to try to figure out. And I did ask him how difficult it is because of the time he was hired and the short turnaround to when he would actually have to have a team on the court playing games. And you know what? He hasn't been a head coach before. So I guess you could say he doesn't know any different and he would take any opportunity that he can just general thoughts though. I love his enthusiasm. I love some of his ideas. We'll have to see on the court, how he's able to implement those and how he'll be able to make this team that by all accounts looks like it will be a pretty similar roster to what they had last season but what changes can he make and so that's maybe going to be the biggest challenge for him is that you have this body of work you have this team that was really good and successful by all accounts through much of the last three regular seasons uh, the last three years but struggled in the playoffs so how can he continue that success in the regular season with a similar group and also be able to maybe take it to the next level in the playoffs so it's a lot to ask for um, I think there is something to be said for a fresh start and a new voice and just a new energy. And so for that reason, I'm excited. And for a number of reasons, I'm excited. But I think that's the biggest one. I think everyone maybe just did need a little bit of a change. And maybe we didn't realize it at the time. Or maybe the front office didn't think in the middle of August it was going to be necessary. But as they took a step back from the playoffs and kind of realized everything that was happening, they thought that it was necessary. And so we have nothing to do but trust them. Completely true. I mean, a breath of fresh air is just the best way that I can put it. I feel like everyone has a, a great deal of respect for Nate McMillan. I feel like just he, he had a good enough opportunity with you know the team for the last few years that I think it's time to go in a little bit of a different direction. And with Nate Bjorken, one of the highly touted assistants in this league, it seemed like a matter of time before he was going to be a head coach. And while we can't you know, guarantee that everything that they did in Toronto is going to come over here to Indiana. We're talking about a guy who is highly regarded. You know, he, he's young. We're talking about great player development and player relationships. One of the things you talked about before, immediately got on the phone with Oladipo and, you know, 
they, they chatted. Loved hearing that. Getting lunch with Brogdon, amazing. Just hit the ground running. But how important do you think it was for the front office to see this team run it back with a healthy roster and a new coaching staff? Because while the Pacers didn't have necessarily a sexy offseason, you know, name-wise, bringing in a new head coach has the whole fan base fired up that sometimes, you know, it doesn't need to be more is more. Sometimes less is more in terms of just bringing back what we already have because they only got to log about 90 minutes together last year, the ideal starting five. I think you bring up a good point because any time a season ends and you evaluate what happened and you have the ability to make changes, you have to say, well, there's a risk and reward to any situation like this. And so if you completely remake a roster from a team that was the four seed, or you could, you know, you could argue four or five, they maybe uh, got the four seed because Miami didn't care about it in that last uh, seeding game. But if you remake a roster from a successful team, there is a risk that it doesn't go well and you take a big step backward. And so I think they were confident in the pieces that they had when they put that team together to the start, go back to the start of last season, I think there was realistically a, a way to look at it as a two- to three-year window for that group because of the kind of contracts that you had and the guys that were not expiring at the end of the 2019-2020 season. So you kind of thought at the start of last season you would have that group together for a couple of years. You probably also thought at that point you might have a similar coaching staff but I think that even Nate has said Nate McMillan has said in some of the interviews he's done since the season ended that he thought when the year started he had to win a playoff series the circumstances were such that maybe he didn't think it was necessary after what happened but then the decision was made and so I think that you don't necessarily want to change a coaching staff and a roster from a pretty successful not highly successful season because you don't know what could happen so change one thing, change the coaching staff up, try to play a little different style of basketball because this is a team that has played a similar way, you could argue, for for parts of the last decade. It's been one that's been outstanding defensively, at times has struggled offensively. And I think to maybe make a big push in the playoffs, you've got to be better offensively. So we'll see if this group of players on the court with a new voice and a new staff can find that magic on offense while also – not taking a step back defensively. I don't. I can't sit here right now in the middle of November and say, oh, they're going to be just fine defensively because I have so much respect for Nate McMillan, Stan Burke, and really the principles that that team um, had established over the years. Now, you could argue they didn't switch enough in the playoffs. I know a lot of people like to say that, uh, but they did what they did. And so um, I think being able to adapt, being able to change, having players that can play multiple positions. There are just a lot of things they need to kind of tweak and do differently in this next season. But to do so with a similar roster, the big key is going to be health. If they are healthy, I'll put that roster up with, you know, the top three teams in the Eastern Conference. If they're not, I'm not sure that a new coaching staff is really going to all of a sudden have magic, you know, pixie dust to sprinkle over them and and, and make them a top two or three team. But we'll have to wait and see. I do hope that the fan base is willing to have a bit – you know, more patience in terms of, you know, with Nate Bjorkman in his first year compared to, you know, where with McMillan it kind of felt like, you know, we have to, absolutely have to get out of the first round. That That's a must. So I would like to have Nate Bjorkman have like a fresh start here. Um, but, you know, as you talked about, I mean, shout out to Dan Burke, Nate McMillan. O- over the last few years, and as you mentioned, decade, I mean, the Pacers have to be up there in terms of one of the top defensive units 
in the league, if not definitely the Eastern Conference. So I do expect that will change. However, the league has drastically shifted to an offensive style. Uh, that's just how it's gone. You know, teams are scoring more points than ever before, and you have to be able to compete on the offensive side of things. So I do think the hiring makes sense. But as it relates to shaking things up, as we saw, the Pacers didn't. But I thought that for the fan base, it felt great to at least know they were very active in trying to get a Gordon Hayward from Boston. You know, they tried to get Fred Van Vliet um, in free agency. But when you're dealing with Danny Ainge, did it feel like he lived up to the exact perception of it's like pulling teeth when it comes to making a trade with Danny Ainge? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll qualify this statement by saying I don't even know if that deal has been announced yet. So it's tough for me to you know, comment publicly on something that is still in the report stage. And, and even for you to, you know, when you say that, you know, the fan base is happy, the Pacers were trying to do this or trying to do that. I'll go back to it just a year ago, because that is something that has happened and we know has happened. And it was, um, you know, Ricky Rubio was someone that was rumored to be on his way to Indianapolis and the fan base had already made their you know, decision and, and really it felt like they'd already decided whether they, that they didn't like the deal before it ever was official. And we don't really know as people, you know, I'm on the outside of this situation. We don't have a Fox Sports Indiana broadcast at the trade deadline. So it really doesn't even necessarily benefit me to, to be in those offices. And then I, and I purposely kind of don't. So I don't know the extent of what happened um, last week. I do know that the front office is always listening, always trying to make the team better. And by all accounts, their communication level is really good with the current players. So if anybody's name had come up, I trust that, you know, the players that are on the roster now are aware, we're aware. There's an open line of communication to where, you know, it doesn't blindside them if they're still there in the future. So I, I can't specifically, you know, in this forum uh, comment about what Danny Ainge wanted, what he didn't want. I would just say that my feelings are probably similar to many Pacers fans that, um, his track record speaks for itself. He has the, a lot of the Boston media, it seems like, at his fingertips that whenever he wants something put out there, it is put out there. And it, it, it seems like over the years he's uh, had a lot of assets and not been able to make a lot of deals. But with, with regards to this specific situation, kind of hard for me to comment. Hey, completely understandable. I think it's going to be a blessing in disguise that the Pacers did not give in to whatever his demands were. We may never exactly know what he was asking for, but I, I do think that it's good that the Pacers didn't jeopardize uh, this team you know, for the next few years because they do have a lot of young pieces that can continue to grow together. And one of those pieces uh, that was brought back was actually clearly a big priority of the Pacers, and that's Justin Holiday. They used the max salary for what they could use in terms of his non-bird rights to bring him back. How vital do you think it was to bring back Justin Holiday to this court? Well, he is someone that has filled so many different roles in just one season with the Pacers, and, and I'm not even talking about just on the court. He is a leader in the locker room. He's someone that the teammates respect. He's the one person in that locker room that has a championship ring. So he has that experience having won one with the Golden State Warriors. But then just on the court, you have to have a guy that can be a laser outside the three-point arc off the bench, someone that can guard multiple positions. You saw many times he was on the court defensively to close games because he was the best matchup for certain wings uh, on the other team in their starting lineup. And so he was someone that I personally viewed as a priority. I really hope the Pacers could find some way to bring him back. I was worried because there was a max amount of money 
as the reports had indicated that the Pacers could sign him to. But I know that Justin had talked publicly about wanting a long-term deal. He's someone that has bounced around the league so many times, um, sometimes multiple times within a season. And so he had that one-year contract with the Pacers for last season. To get this um, security, this multi-year deal, uh, term's not announced, but I think everyone has it out there. So um, I think that was important to him. And look, at his age, he's someone that to get three more years of NBA basketball, considering nothing was promised to him when he came out of college is a fantastic story and a very important piece. And so uh, many people are wanting splashy moves. I've had people text me like, oh, the Patriots are pretty quiet. Um, that Well, the season hasn't started yet, so we'll see if this roster as currently constructed is the one that starts training camp. But I could not be more thrilled uh, with that official announcement that Justin Holiday is back for what he brings not just on the court, but he also makes reporters' jobs uh, very easy as well. Very excited to have Justin back. I think that uh, I was hoping that it wouldn't get to the point where we would have to not see him there to truly appreciate the value that he brought last season. So I was getting a little worried that a team like the Knicks, you know, after striking out on a few big free agents, could you know be throwing some substantial money his way. So very glad that he decided to come back to the Pacers and give it you know another run. I believe. This was the first multi-year contract in his career, so well-deserved to Justin Holiday. Um, A few guys that I think are going to be on the move. The Pacers did not send qualifying offers to Alizé Johnson, Brian Bowen, Nazmi True Long, as it feels like they just weren't able to have the proper time to develop. I do wish all of them the very best, and you know, hopefully, maybe we could see one one or two of them down the line. But the Pacers used their 54th overall pick on Cassius Stanley. What has been your early thoughts on Stanley falling to the Pacers? Uh, and do you think, you know, maybe he could fit into their plans, uh, you know, moving forward for years to come? I feel like a second round pick is kind of like the backup quarterback in football that everybody loves him and, and clamors for him and, and, and really just wants to see that person succeed and do well. And so I'm not surprised the fan base seems to be, uh, overly excited. I do think this is someone that that has fallen in the draft and will come in with a chip on his shoulder and really is the kind of person that uh, this roster did need. You need a little bit of athleticism, someone that can, you know, get up and down the court and get up and down vertically as well. Now, don't this is what I would say, though. Much like last season, even though Gogo Bataze, where he was drafted, people probably wanted a little bit more from him in his rookie season. I caution people at the beginning of last season to not make your judgments about his success in the NBA through one season. And so I would say don't expect too much, especially when you consider the roster that he is joining. Don't expect too much this season, but consider him a nice asset and someone that you can groom and maybe potentially look at the guys that Nate Bjorkren was around in Toronto the last two seasons. There are a number of players that were unheralded, that were undrafted, some of them that have turned into, you know, key rotation pieces. And so nothing would surprise me when, even though I said don't put too many expectations on him, it would not surprise me for a random game that you need him and to see him perform. And I like the fact that he played at Duke and was a high-level recruit and had that big-time high school experience as well. So uh, I think the thing I love the most is his enthusiasm. I think you and I know that fans just want to see from their Pacers people who – genuinely want to be here and any second round pick is probably going to have a little bit of appreciation and gratitude for a roster spot they probably would play in uh 
you know, New Mexico if the NBA had a team there. But I think that I can really feel like that, that Cassius wants to be in Indiana with the Pacers and will do everything asked of him. And that's pretty much all you can ask for when you're drafting at that spot. It really is. I mean, you can't teach athleticism, and the education he's gotten from Coach K, you know, even just one year, is just so vital. I mean, it's great to hear little things like even Russell Westbrook's a mentor of his. I mean, you got to think that he, he's able to at least train with Westbrook or pick up some knowledge, little things that will help him along the way. But, yeah, when you mentioned Nate Bjorkman's player development in you know, a reputation from Toronto, I mean, guys like Terrence Davis, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, all guys that were unheralded, either undrafted or have really kind of exceeded expectations, it gets me very excited for what Goga could do under him or Cassius Stanley. Now, I'm pretty much just imagining the G League for Cassius this season, and even the odds are even stacked against him with no summer league, but I do still feel that the Pacers made the best of what they possibly could picking 54th. Um, now, essentially, as we enter this season, when I mentioned that a lot's changed since before, we walk into this year with Domas Sabonis coming off an all-star appearance. TJ Warren put the NBA bubble and league on notice, and we have a healthy Victor Oladipo to start the year. Is there a worry that there's only one ball and quite a lot of mouths to feed, or can this team come together because at the end of the day, winning does cure all? It does, and I, I really look back at the roster construction, and this is something that I've um, discussed, I think, with Pat Boylan on our podcast on, on multiple occasions. You could have – there are different ways to build teams, and obviously the one that everyone thinks of is the way to go is a big two or a big three. But I don't know that that's the only way to do it, and if you don't have one of those players that is worthy of one of those you know, 30-plus million-dollar contracts, I think it's really smart to have a lot of contracts that are of similar amounts of money. So there really isn't any jealousy in the locker room. There's not a thought that, hey, that guy's not pulling his weight, even though he's making much more than me. And so, um, you know, as I said, terms of contracts are never disclosed, but it's all really pretty much out there. And you can look at the Pacers' balance and how much money all of their starters and really key players will be making this season. So that should mean that everybody understands that nobody is, you know, viewed you know, as head and shoulders above anyone else. True, there are people that are going to need their touches and going to need their shots. But um, I, I think that there's enough. <laughs> you say there's only one basketball. There also is 48 minutes in a game. And so, you know, much like last season, the talk the entire season was Miles and Domas, and, and could they play together? And the reality is there is a lot of time where they don't share the court together. I, the, the biggest thing is how they finish games together. I think you can start one start them both continue to do that and take one out early and um, it'll be up to Nate Bjorkren to how he wants to do that but I just feel like that there are times in every game where guys can get hot guys can have their number called Malcolm Brogdon to me seems like the perfect point guard for this team because he values and understands that it is important to make sure everybody is happy and so um, when you have a ball dominant point guard that also wants to be your leading scorer for instance Kyrie Irving uh, with the Celtics, I don't think he necessarily was was a guy that cared about getting his teammates involved, and that maybe caused problems in that locker room. Locker room chemistry is important, despite what you know maybe has come out or has been said about last season's team. I think they had pretty good chemistry. I think they did get along. It was a different dynamic having Victor Oladipo join at midseason and then not be 100%. So if Victor is himself, 
starts the season close to 100% and everyone is healthy, win enough games, and I think everything will take care of itself. But I'm not as concerned about the having too many talented players. You can never have too many guys that can score. Exactly. If that's our biggest problem, then then bring it on. And if Vic can be even 80% of what he was in the past, I think the Pacers are going to be a really, you know, a team that can make some noise. Um, but I don't even care what Brogdon averages points per game wise. If he can get those assists to around 10 assists per game, I think this team is going to be very successful because a lot of people remember in the beginning of last season, Brogdon's assists per game were only trailing LeBron James at just over nine assists per game. So, I mean, that's when Brogdon was healthy and the offense was really gelling. I do think that he can, you know, make a huge impact by just distributing. But as we wrap up this uh, this segment over here, I mean, the Bucks added Drew Holiday and a ton of other pieces. The Raptors lost Abaka and Gasol. Brooklyn's healthy, they're looking dangerous, and even some of the bottom feeders in the East got better. You know, your Charlottes, your your Washingtons, your Atlantas. Uh, where do you see the Pacers team fitting on paper, at least, in the East? I see no reason that they can't be similar to where they have been the last few seasons. Because their roster is pretty similar, I do think they'll get a boost of energy and enthusiasm from the new staff that should really help during some of these uh, doldrum types uh, games where you don't have the boost of the fans. I mean, we don't know how that's going to affect any team this season if there are limited fans or if there are no fans. I and mean, we don't know in some markets if there will and some there won't. There are so many questions that need to be answered. But I think we can confidently say you're not going to have a sellout crowd anywhere. And there are some teams that rely on that for much of their success. The Pacers, um, they really feed off the home crowd. So I think that young staff, that energy can help where they are going to maybe be lacking some of the boost from, from home crowds. But I also just think that um, the continuity from inside the locker room can help. And uh, we probably said it four times already between you and I together on this podcast, but health is going to be so important. And it's not just the injuries that guys had last year. It's now the COVID dynamic as well. Um, you're going to need guys. You might need uh, Cassius Stanley. You might, might need Edmund Sumner to really step up and play well. You are going to be relying on Goku Bataze for more this season. And so I think you're going to need everyone on the roster. Any particular night, you're going to need people, but you just have to hope those serious injuries, um, the things that happened to DeMontis Sabonis in August, the things that kind of lingered for Malcolm Brogdon all season, the Victor Oladipo issue that's kind of plagued him the last year and a half. If those are taken care of and it's minor things and you get contributions from throughout the roster, I see no reason why they're not, you know, middle of that top eight in the Eastern Conference, let's say four or five. Um, that, that's, I think, to be realistic, that's where they're at. It, you could say they could be better, but right now the rosters of teams have a little bit more right now. But I don't think you have to be at the start of the season where you want to be. That's been the one thing is that there's been such a focus on being a top four team in the regular season. If they got to five, if they fell to six, but they're playing better and they're more equipped to win in the playoffs, I think fans would probably be okay with that. A hundred percent. We will gladly take a trip to the second round over, you know, <laughs> home court in, in in the first round. Who cares? Especially after what we saw happen last year in the bubble. Home court meant absolutely nothing. So, JJ, I once again appreciate you hopping on. Tell everybody where we could find you on social media and when new episodes of your show are dropping. 
Yeah, during the season, Pat and I record the sideline guys usually on a Tuesday or a Wednesday morning and release it by Wednesday afternoon. We're not quite back to an every week uh, basis, but we will be very soon. And so not only that, but I think at some point in December, Pat will be back with Pacers Weekly on uh, 1070, the fan 107.5. So that'll be at some point just prior to the start of the season. So it is crazy to think that we're almost there. But once the calendar turns to December, it'll really start to feel more like it's it's time for some NBA basketball. And so at JJFS Indiana on Twitter, I'm going to try to do a better job on Instagram. I'll admit that it's not my favorite medium or not the place that I spend much time, but Jeremiah Fox Sports Indiana on Instagram as well. So thanks for the opportunity to come on and, and great job with you guys keeping up the good work this whole off season. It, it, it hasn't been easy to keep up the content and you guys have done a great job. Really appreciate, appreciate that a lot. Thanks a lot, JJ. Have a good one. All right. Talk to you soon. All right, everybody, we are back, and we are joined today by Rhett Boward, 8 points, 9 seconds. Rhett, what's going on? Not much, Fachi. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. So, Rhett, in what was expected to be a quiet offseason for the Pacers, uh, does it at least make you feel good to know that the Pacers were at least active when we're hearing all the interest they had in Gordon Hayward and even Fred Van Vliet? Yeah, I was one of the people who was very, very excited about getting Hayward. I know there were some Pacer fans out there who were not, um, and that they were just constantly clamoring to make a move yet didn't want them Pacers to trade miles Turner for Gordon Hayward. But to see our name thrown around a little bit, uh, as possible moves, I guess it's kind of like a participation trophy because we didn't actually do anything, but, uh, it, it is good to know that Kevin Pritchard's out there trying to get the team better. Oh, of course. I mean, participation trophies, what it seems like, to at least know that they probably tried to at least leave every stone, you know, turned over to, to see mm-hmm. ways that they could make this team better in a year where we had no money. I mean, it, dealing with Danny Ainge, I mean, I think we got to call this man the dentist right now because it is truly pulling teeth trying to make a trade with him. And in the end, I think it's probably a blessing in disguise that we didn't give up, you know, a Miles Turner, Aaron Holiday, and maybe even a future pick to Boston. So do you feel better kind of knowing that we didn't give up all of our assets to bring in Gordon Hayward and then pay him over $100 million? Because, Rhett, we heard four years $100 million, but he ended up signing for 120 So he could have came yeah. in at more than 100 How are you feeling knowing that we at least are holding on to our, our core and not giving up too much? Yeah, so I went on Twitter a little bit and – after it was reported that he was looking for four for a hundred, the money was going to get really interesting uh, for the rest of the roster, not just this year and trying to retain Justin holiday and then filling out the rest of the roster spots, but also moving forward with, you know, Vic possibly getting a new contract. If he stays TJ Warren up for extension in two years. So like having Gordon Hayward for 25 million for uh, until he's age 35 it was just something that I wasn't super comfortable with. And me and Mark Schindler of Indy Cornrows went back and forth a lot about that. And we came to the conclusion like four for 90 with some incentives in there for games played or all-star appearances, stuff like that. But four for 120, my goodness. I, I don't feel good about that at all. No. For Charlotte, I, at least. I don't think anybody does. And when you think about how Charlotte has to, you know, it looks like they're going to have to waive. Nicholas Batum, so it's actually coming in and cost them about $40 million a year for Gordon yeah. Hayward. 
I mean, it's honestly just a sickening deal. And when you mentioned, you know, your your idea of maybe four for ninety, ideally, I was thinking in a perfect world, you know, four for eighty four, right around that Victor Oladipo contract. But obviously, mm-hmm. that would have been such a steep decrease from what Charlotte offered him. So I don't blame him for taking the money in the end. That was mm-hmm. especially in a weak free agent class. It felt like Gordon Hayward. I mean. Got one of the richest deals out there for a guy coming to a new team compared to like an extension. So can't fault him for that. But in the end, you know, the Pacers didn't give up too much. So for that, I am happy. But one sacrifice the Pacers had to make after bringing in Justin Holiday and bringing back Jakar Sampson, bringing back both of them, the Pacers had to dump TJ Leaf and a future second round pick for uh, Jalen McHugh. And did that move have to happen? Or did that move absolutely have to happen for the Pacers? Uh, both, yes. I think you could throw another absolutely in yes. there, and that that still maybe might not fully encapsulate how uh, how strongly we wanted that move to happen. Not only because of the salary, uh, like the luxury tax implications, but just every time people would see TJ Leaf on the bench or he comes in for his three minutes at the end of a game, he just got dragged through the mud nonstop. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that he gets a chance in a extremely, extremely strongly built rebuilding team in Oklahoma city. And uh, the Pacers could absolutely afford to lose a future second, consider they got like five last year from Miami. So exactly plenty of, of second round picks, you know, stashed for the Pacers. So sending TJ leaf in all seriousness to, to OKC, I think is a no brainer on both sides. Gives him the opportunity to get some much-needed playing time to develop. I think that the Thunder being able to, you know, roll the dice on Leaf this year and expiring, you know, year for him is the perfect opportunity. Um, and then plus, come on, paying the luxury tax for this Pacers team—no offense—but it doesn't seem like a championship roster, and we know how reluctant they've been to pay the luxury tax in the past. So, a deal that had to be done and allows them. The opportunity to bring in, you know, one or two other guys at, at the minimum and not pay the tax. But as we move forward, where do you see this Pacers team, you know, kind of kind of going into this year when you mentioned didn't really bring in anyone else, but you did bring in a new coaching staff? Yeah, so I think the focus this year is basically going to be like increasing value for everybody on the roster. Like we all know that Vic's value right now isn't super great because there's some sort of uh, disagreement with the front office. He might not want to be here. He might want to go to Miami, New York, whatever. Uh, and then Miles being so actively shopped around for Gordon Hayward. I know Kevin Pritchard said that he's very upfront when it comes to the business side of things with player relationships. That's something he prides himself on. So it's not like it's a surprise that Miles was being uh, shopped around considering how good Domas is. But I think that Coach Bjorkren is going to try to make it a priority to show that miles can be better than what he has been. He can be better than a fifth option. Um, and then to get Vic just in situations to, uh, succeed if his handle still isn't there, maybe try not isoing Vic or, or getting some motion to where Vic can catch the ball on the move and, and, and getting some actions in that regard, rather than having him, uh, bounce the ball off his foot or get it stripped like three or four possessions in a row completely agree that was very frustrating to see and uh you know i was just talking to uh, jeremiah johnson before this and we were talking about Mm -hmm. how i feel if malcolm brogdon is able to average you know right around maybe 
10 assists and maybe not as much points per game as you know you'd ideally like I think this Pacers team is going to be very successful because it means that he'll be distributing the ball a lot more how vital do you feel that a healthy Malcolm Brogdon is to this roster yeah it's a it's a great relationship that was the whole point of bringing Brogdon in in the first place is his ability to play on or off ball similar to Vic. Uh, so having both of them come into the season healthy and hopefully uh, the reported disagreements about the locker room leader uh, can be put aside and they can just go out and ball. I think that Brogdon and Oladipo could benefit from each other greatly uh, as long as, as long as everybody stays healthy, especially with the new coach being able to bring in some more modern offense. Absolutely love everything that Bjorkren's bringing to the table here. You know, you mentioned you know, things like player development, where I am very excited to see what he can do with Goga and a few other of the young guys. Um, mm-hmm. But when you mentioned before about shopping Miles Turner, Miles Turner, for some reason, has been the guy that has just taken on a lot of slander in the past. And, you know, now his name has been floated out in trades this offseason. Do you think that Miles is able to kind of feed off this as motivation to take a step forward on the court? Or is this unfortunately going to be something that might have a lingering effect and kind of get him down during the season. I don't think it'll get him down just because I feel like he, the the reports out there is that Boston didn't really want Turner and they were looking around the league to see what his trade value would be, even though they hadn't traded for him yet. So I feel like the, the doubt about what he can bring to a team, uh, both from the Pacers side and then on the, team side that was going to be trading for him uh should add some fuel to the fire and i think that uh there's uh, there's a, a ton of stuff that goes into why he's been disappointing lately but i really do think that bringing him back letting him play with domas in a new offensive system letting him play without domas in a new offensive system and with everybody healthy uh i think that he can either reclaim his value and we can trade him for something valuable, or Coach Brooker might be able to make it work with the two bigs. I don't know. I think if they do stagger their minutes between Turner and Sabonis, I do think that they could be a little bit more successful you know, individually, or at least Domas was you know, very successful on the court, but it felt like it was Miles Turner who was, you know, his usage rate was down. It felt like he wasn't as set up for success as he could have been. So very excited to see what the new coaching staff does with uh, Miles Turner. Um, now, was there anyone in free agency that you really wanted to go after that would have made sense and been realistic? Hmm. I think, honestly, someone like Jay Crowder would have oh, been yeah. nice. Would have loved that. Um, but I mean, we were in such a such an interesting spot because we were dealing with Gordon Hayward. Like Gordon Hayward would have been the one big move we would have done. Mm-hmm. We would have been mostly capped out. And we wouldn't have been able to do anything else. But then by the time Charlotte came in with their offer, there wasn't a whole lot to choose from. But I was perfectly fine passing on everybody else if it meant that we got Gordon Hayward in here for a reasonable number. And now that we didn't, uh, being able to bring Justin back for three for 18 is just incredible value. So I'm I'm happy with the moves that they made or didn't make, uh, even though we may have missed out on some guys. Absolute steal bringing Justin Holiday back for that price tag. It just really feels like... uh... You know, we already knew it was a great fit, and um, I was just saying earlier with JJ that I feel like I didn't want it to have to come down to realizing Justin Holiday's value because he's not with the team anymore. So mm-hmm. great, great to be able to bring him back. But you know, as we wrap up this segment, the East feels 
very competitive this year. I mean, you're talking about the Bucks are officially all in uh, to for a championship. They bring in Drew Holiday. The Nets are healthy, and you know they. I mean, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving says it all, but they also made a few other moves in there. Uh, then you're also talking about like a few teams in the bottom of the East feel like they got better. The Pacers, they're they're essentially banking on this team staying together and getting better collectively. Where do you see the Pacers falling in the East this year? Uh, it it really depends, but realistically, six seven is where I'm at because there are just so many teams that got significantly better and have less question marks. And it, it was either addition by addition or addition by subtraction in the case of Philly, like trading Horford to get Danny Green back. Like, okay, you bring in pieces that make sense for the best players on your team, whereas the Pacers are relying a lot on internal growth and development where Oladipo being healthy, Bjorkren bringing in a new scheme to try and make the two bigs work. And then if it doesn't work, we're going to be trading some pieces in the middle of the year, whether it be Oladipo, Turner, both and then trying to piece it together on the fly in an already shortened season with shortened uh, time between games. So I I have pretty low expectations for the Pacers this year. I'm mostly looking forward to what Bjorkren can do with the starters, but also with Goga and Aaron. I wrote about this. I really think that Coach Bjorkren should make it a priority to play the younger guys and see what we've got and and use use the regular season as a development because I don't think any any way you slice it I don't think we're going to get up into the top three but I also don't think we'll drop down out of the playoffs if you play a Goga 15 minutes a game instead of eight so I think that you know using this season not as a lost season because you can you still want to get in make the playoffs you still want to have the best team possible and, and put your team in position to win games but I think that getting getting miles and Goga and Sumner and Aaron and now Cassius Stanley, uh, a bunch of opportunities to thrive within the role that they're best at is uh, something that could could uh, pay long-term uh, dividends rather than just short-term trying to win this season. I completely agree. It almost feels like Groundhog Day that, once again, you know the media is going to be lower on the Pacers. They always yep. are, and somehow we continue to exceed expectations I have no problem, you know, kind of pinning this team at right around 6-7, like you mentioned, uh, because it just feels like everybody else kind of made moves. But we didn't get to see this ideal starting five together last year. You mm -hmm. are hoping that, just like you mentioned, Goga, Aaron Holiday, they take steps forward as, you know, Goga, unfortunately, really just wasn't able to contribute last year. I thought Aaron Holiday took a good step forward last year. I'm mm -hmm. very excited to see what he has in store for this year. Um, Edmund Sumner in, in a probably a really big make-or-break year for Sumner. So you got to imagine that he's been working, and, and he probably has a, a solid chip on his shoulder. Cassius Stanley would love to see what he can do, but at the same point, I have no problem kind of admiring from afar as he's in the G League, yeah. continuing to develop. But this year feels different in terms of I believe that player development will be more important than in mm -hmm. the past. It, it feels like... You know, after TJ Leaf's rookie year, it was almost like, all right, well, that's probably not going to work out. So let's just continue to pay him for the next few years and just he'll collect a paycheck. Um, you know, mm -hmm. or, or guys like Goga, who just, I mean, Nate McMillan was only able to find a few minutes here and there for him. And it just felt like if he made a mistake, you weren't going to see him for a while. So yep. I do look forward to seeing this team kind of just give one last shot together because 
there's a lot unknown. Vic entering a contract year. Uh, if if it doesn't gel well there, could be moved at the deadline. Maybe just could not be brought back. In general, you know, you never know. Either way, I don't think they're going to get a deal done. Um, you know, before his deadline. So. Uh, a lot of unknown, but at the same point, a lot of great excitement with a breath of fresh air with Nate Bjorkman coming to the team. So, Rhett, as we wrap up, uh, tell everybody where they could find, uh, find you on social media. Yeah, so on Twitter, I'm at Rhett underscore Bauer, R-H-E-T-T underscore B-A-U-E-R. Uh, and then you can also find me on 8 points, 9 seconds. I'm working on a pretty big piece right now. I had to scrap my Gordon Hayward to the Pacers piece, which was a which is sad sad moment but but yeah we'll be putting something out soon hey i'm sure that would have been a great piece but also looking <laughs> forward to the next one that you have coming out so everybody make sure uh, you check out Rhett on on twitter as well as uh through 8.9 seconds Rhett, once again thank thank you very much for uh, coming on have a great thanksgiving yep you too fox thanks Pacer Nation, thank you very much for tuning in for another episode of Setting the Pace. I am your boy, Mike Focci. You can find me on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. My co-host, Alex Golden, you can find him on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. He is enjoying a very nice, much-needed uh, vacation over in Tennessee right now. You could find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3 and on Instagram at PacersTalk. Special shout-out to Jeremiah Johnson as well as Rhett Bauer for joining the show today. Uh, while it wasn't necessarily an explosive offseason, the Pacers are running it back with a healthy unit. So we have a lot to be grateful for on this Thanksgiving. Uh, we are grateful for all of our unbelievable listeners uh, that truly make the show. So thank you very much. I wish you guys have a great Thanksgiving. And at the end of the day, if you could remember one thing, please, let's go Pacers. <laughs>